betrayed. I had a friend out west, and he got into business with uh, two of his buddies, good Christian men. And they bought lots and developments. One of the guys had a construction company, and they built spec homes and sold them. And my buddy was the guy who bought the lots. Bought the lots, bought the lots, bought the lots. It was good, good, good money until 2008. And this partnership was never really formalized in print or on paper. I see in the grown-up faces, you know where this story's going. So push came to shove, and it was hard. You know, it's one thing when you take out a loan on a $15,000 lot, $30,000 lot, $70,000 lot, and you're holding 20 of those notes in your name. That's a lot of money. It adds up. And when things got bad initially, his buddies, they were all putting into the kitty to pay the bills like they always had been, and then they were missing months, and then it, there were all kinds of reasons and excuses. And my friend lost everything. I mean, he lost everything. He lost his home. He had to go bankrupt. And I remember him telling me what one of his buddies said, hey, when he confronted his friend on the whole, where's our partnership thing? Hey, whose name is on those notes? It's not my name. Good Christian businessman. Betrayed. Now, for those of you who are in middle school and high school, I got to warn you, today's topic's a little heavy, but you face betrayal in middle school and high school. Here's how it works at your level, right? You've got a friend that you think is a friend, only behind your back, that friend tells lies about you, that friend says things about you, or worse, what your friend does behind your back is they mock you. They mock how you talk, how you dress, and everybody has a good laugh about it. And then there's that moment where you're with a mutual friend and you're talking about that person and they say to you, do you know what they say about you behind your back? And what's the phrase you use when you confront your friend? I thought you were my friend. Oh, you thought that? <laughs> Betrayed. You're not, I wish I could tell you middle schooler and high schoolers that by the time you get 30, 40 years of old, it gets easier, it gets better. You get like a betrayal uh, resistance. Doesn't work that way. I had another friend who uh, was surprised one day by her husband. Uh, stereotypical things, man. I, you know, and I remember having conversations with her. So the sex goes away, he's emotionally distant all those kind of things, and then stuff with the job change. You know, he was working a lot of hours, and he took trips before, but now it seemed like there were a lot of trips and a lot of overnights. And she wondered, but thought that it was just a phase. It was just some, you know, it was a hard point in the marriage, and they would get through it because she had had breast cancer a couple years earlier. It was a, like a minor, what is it, stage one, no big deal thing, but he was there for her the whole nine yards. I mean, every appointment, every step of the way, and so she thought, this is just a stage, until she found his phone. They had one of those uh, charging stations in the kitchen and a place where the phones could kind of fall behind. And to this day, I don't know if he did that intentionally, like if he was tired and just wanted to get caught, or if it was like an oops, I can't believe I forgot my phone, but it fell behind the, the charging station. And she's in the kitchen cleaning and ding, 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 text messages are coming in. This is back, this is a few years back when they had the flip, you had to flip the phone open. So she flips the phone open 
And there's the other woman texting her husband. Betrayed. Betrayed. Betrayal is a part of life. To love and to live is to risk betrayal. And every single person in this room, including you, including me, is capable of betraying someone else. And every single one of us in this room, before we breathe our last breath, will know what it means to have someone stab us in the back, walk out on us, betray us. It's part of human experience. It's part of life. As we wrap up this series on grace and as we move toward Easter, I want to remind you that God knows full well what it is to be betrayed. Passion Week, the seven days, seven last days of Jesus' life, features, it is really a story of betrayal and grace. Betrayal and grace. And so let's just get into it, all right? Let's get into it. Let's look at the story. Let's look at the players and let's look at who did what and what went down. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verses 14 through 16. Jesus had 12 key disciples, 12 key followers. One of them was a guy named Judas. They all came from different walks of life. Some were tax collectors, some were fishermen, uh, some were educated. Judas was the most educated of the bunch. He had the best, most potential out of all 12. And in this particular couple of verses, Matthew 26, it's coming on the heels of something truly huge. Jesus has been in Bethany and he has raised this man, Lazarus, a friend of his from the dead. The guy had been in the tomb four days, four days. I mean, he wasn't just mostly dead, he was all dead. All dead. With all dead, all you can do is look for pocket change. Four days. And so they knew, the disciples knew something big was coming, and they weren't sure something big is coming. It's kind of ominous. Jesus is talking weird. He's saying strange things. And they knew something's up. Something big is happening. But when they got to Bethany, I mean, for crying out loud, he raised a man from the dead. Caesar can't do that. I mean, if there was any doubt, is he the one? I don't know. Is, is someone coming later? I mean, are you it? Are you the Messiah? Who are you exactly? Raise somebody from the dead. I think you're it. And so in that context, Jesus and his friends are hanging out at Mary and Martha's house, Lazarus' house in Bethany. It's two miles from Jerusalem. It's like hanging out in Nick Vegas. It's just a hop, skip, and a jump to get to the Fayette Mall. It's no big deal. Right? Bethany is close by to Jerusalem. So Judas slips out, and this is what the text says. Let me get it to it in my Bible. 26, verse 14. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him thirty pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. I love theologians. They, they, all, they all try to figure things out. They all try to figure things out. And they give all kinds of reasons. Why would he do that? Why would Judas betray Jesus? And some of them, some of them come up with, well, you know, Judas, you know, Iscariot, Sicari, you know, kill a Roman for God. I mean, he was want, maybe he was wanting a revolution and he was disappointed in the peace-loving, turn-your-cheek, you know, stuff that Jesus was talking and teaching about. And maybe Judas got to a point where he was like, uh-uh, no, we're going 
we're going to do the revolution my way. Some people say that Judas was greedy because the disciples find out after Judas is dead that he had been taking money from the till. Nobody knew, nobody suspected. But he was taking money, he was stealing. So maybe it was greed. Maybe, maybe he was just disappointed in Jesus. Maybe he was jealous. Some people, some theologians say that, that Judas was jealous of Peter and John, just like the others. It's always Peter and John, Peter and John. Go to the mountain with Peter and John. What am I, sliced bread? You said, follow me, I followed you. What makes them so special? When you're betrayed, does it really matter what the reason is? I mean, you're cheating spouse and they, well, you know, you're distant and my needs weren't getting met. I mean, does that really make the pain lessen to know why? <laughs> no. It doesn't make any difference to know why. They stabbed you in the back. Knowing why does not lessen the pain of betrayal. And Judas, for whatever reason, the Bible doesn't tell us why. The Bible just tells us what and how. So let's go to the next part in this process of Judas, and that's found in verses 20 and following. So Judas arranges to betray Jesus, and now we're at the next evening, the next day, the next evening, Jesus has gathered his friends into a room, and they're having a special meal together. And he knows this is the last meal he's going to get with his friends. And he's saying some weird stuff, and he says to them, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to betray me. And this is it, verse 20. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12 disciples. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Look at this. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? They didn't know. They had no clue which one of them was going to do it. No clue. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one, Lord? He replied, One of you who has just eaten from this bowl will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it is will be for the one who betrays him. It will be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, You have said it. There are a couple of things here. Judas was in charge of the common purse for the disciples. He was the treasurer of Jesus Incorporated. If you have an organization or if you have money, do you give your money to someone that you don't trust to manage? No! Judas of the 12 was trustworthy. You could count on him. That was his reputation. And so he kept the common purse. In the Greek, when you're fleshing this out, you see that Judas was seated next to Jesus. He was close by because he leans in. Am I the one? And at a table, that meant Judas was in a place of honor at the table. He was right close to Jesus. So there's a lot of things going on, but of all the things we see, we see that Judas is trustworthy. Judas is respected among the twelve. He's got a good reputation. He's doing the right things. And nobody knows. Nobody suspects. And Jesus is saying this weird stuff. One of you is going to betray me. And no one, no one guesses that it's Judas. The funny thing is, in this meal, in this meal, right? For the Son of Man, uh, how terrible. It's one of you will betray me. 
is Judas the only one, is Judas the only one who, in a sense, betrays Jesus? How many of them out of the 12? 12. Some of them deny him. Some of them just flat out run. Some of them desert him, but all of them betray Jesus to one degree or another. All of them, all 12. All 12. Let's go to the next little bit. That's verses 47 and following. So Jesus has this meal. He wraps it up and he and his friends go out to the garden. No one knows this, but Judas, well, they do. Judas slips out to go meet with the chief priests. But Judas slipped out all the time and he kept the money purse. So nobody thought a thing of it. Maybe he's going to make arrangements. Maybe he's got to pay a bill. Who knows? Judas is always slipping out. No big deal. The disciples gather in this olive grove to pray. And they've been praying. Well, Jesus has been praying. They've been sleeping. In verse 47, and even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people, the traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You'll know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed and gave Jesus the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you've come for. And the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. Judas, one of the 12. This is an insider this is a privileged relationship, a trusted relationship. No one of the 12 suspected it was Judas, but Jesus, no one. They came at night also with a contingent of Roman soldiers, which is funny. They were thinking, well, there won't be any crowds. The resistance will be less, which just showed again they totally missed the boat in understanding Jesus. They totally misunderstood him. We need to come and get him with swords for that's not how his kingdom rolls. That's not how he rolls. That's not the revolution that he's going to start and the way he's going to start it. But they miss it again. They miss it. A kiss was a common greeting. And it's where we get the, the expression betrayed with a kiss. Comes right out of the New Testament. Interesting, Jesus uses the word friend. Friend. Do what you've come to do. If it were you or me, and it's the moment, and Judas has shown his true colors, what would come out of your tongue? What would you say? I'll just channel me for a moment. You dog, how could you do this to me? We gave you the money purse. Of all the 12, you were the one that had education. You were the one that had promise. How could you go out and do this? How could you bring people with swords? Satan. I would have called him worse than that, but it's church and I can't swear. <laughs> That's what my wife tells me. <laughs> Jesus, no lecture. Not in Matthew, not in Mark, not in Luke, not in John. There is no lecture. If anybody deserved a lecture, it's Judas, and he doesn't get one. All he gets is friend. Do what you've come to do. That's it. 
well, what, what, what goes down with Judas? How does this play out? Not good. That's chapter 27. We're going to look at a few verses beginning in verse 3. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and to the elders. I've sinned, he declared, for I've betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. Filled with remorse. He has regret. He has guilt. He has all... Ah, what was I thinking? How stupid was that? Many a cheating spouse has come to that realization. What was I thinking? Why would I give this away? Duh! So he's filled with regret. And he, but he doesn't go to Jesus. He can't. Jesus is arrested. He doesn't go to the disciples. Who does he go to with his guilt? The people that conspired with him to kill his friend. Wrong place. He takes his guilt to the wrong place. And he hangs himself. He hangs himself before Jesus is questioned, before Jesus is whipped, before Jesus is hung on a cross. Judas hangs himself. There's a contrast that many a preacher has done between Judas and Peter. Both of them, to one degree or another, betray Jesus. Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. Peter betrays Jesus with a series of denials. Both of them are remorseful. Both regret what they've done. One of them refuses God's grace. The other accepts God's grace. The one who refuses God's grace is led to a very dark place where he dies and is remembered always as a traitor. The other who embraces God's grace is led to bring about a revival in Jerusalem that changes the world. Let me ask some questions. See, every one of us, I think, every one of us has a little bit of Judas and Peter in us. Every one of us. You don't look at this story and you can't say, man, that Judas was a bad guy. He was a bad man. I'm not like that. You know what that thinking is? The thinking of Peter. Man, I, I won't deny you. I, when you said follow me, I was in. I've drank the Kool-Aid. I will, you, we're bread and butter, peas and carrots. I will always be with you. I will always support you. I will never waver, Lord. That's the Peter way. Peter was wrong about what he was capable of. We're all capable of betraying Jesus and his people and his kingdom. So here's the issue. The moment that you realize what you've done, how are you going to respond? Where are you going to take that guilt? That's the key issue. Where are you going to take it? If you, if you think you can solve it yourself and deal with it yourself and fix it yourself, you're going to end up in a dark place. But if you're willing to accept and embrace the grace of God, it'll wreck you but you'll live. You won't just survive, you'll live, right? Now, on a practical level, some of you know what it's like to be betrayed. I get that. And, and you know that weight. Some practical things. Take that betrayal to God. Don't take it anywhere else. Don't take it to the person that did you in and stabbed you in the back. Take it to God. Let him judge. Let him do justice. 
His justice is good, is certain, and he is trustworthy. So take it to him. doesn't mean you forget it or sweep it under the rug. It doesn't mean you set boundaries or that they, have, can't, you know, that they don't have to earn trust back. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means you take it to God and you let him deal with the betrayal. Maybe you've been the one that was the cheating, lying, you know, dog. Maybe you've betrayed somebody. Again, take it to God. Take your guilt to God and accept his grace and his forgiveness. Because here's the thing. If you try and fix it yourself, if you try and I will make this right, I promise, I promise, I promise over the next 20 years, I will make this up to you. You can't do that in your power. Not, not, not with a betrayal. You can't do that. You've got to embrace his grace and let his grace work in you and change you and sustain you and live by it every day. So if you want to know how God rolls, what God does when he has been betrayed, look no further than the six hours on the cross. What does that man say? What does that man do when he has been betrayed to death by his friends? Want to know God's grace? Look right there. What does he say? What does he do? In the face of everything... Right? I mean, again, if it were me and I'm hanging on the cross, there's a lot of bitterness that's going to come out of this tongue, chances are. But what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In a word, grace. Right there on display for the whole world to see six hours on a Friday. The very people who were supposed to love him and stand with him, who walked out on him, and it's grace. If you ever wonder, and, and, and if there's this part of you, and you think you can earn it, you can get it, you can somehow make God love you, ah, it doesn't work that way. But if you look at the cross, if you look at who Jesus is, who God is, how God rolls, just let it in. Just let it in.